Welcome to the Agile Empath Podcast. Whether you're leading, managing, coaching a team, there is a human behavior aspect. We have 20 plus years in the mental health industry and have creative ways to approach situations. We're gonna begin with innovative ideas, how to tap into creativity, utilizing empathy. So these are soft skills to tap into our own potential and help others tap into that potential so we can be efficient with agile methodologies. Please like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Welcome to episode five of the Agile Empath podcast. Today we're talking about diversity and inclusion. Stay tuned. Hello, my name is Alexia Georgiou. I'm a coach and consultant. I innovate and create with empathetic agile methodologies. My website is theresilientpathway.com. Contact me, Alexia at theresilientpathway.com. That's A-L-E-X-I-A at theresilientpathway.com. We have special pandemic coaching packages available. We're also providing consultation services with development and training on Zoom. I look forward to hearing from you. Welcome to our talk on diversity of thought and normalized emotions, a multi-generational racial and gender view. Um, we're presenting this in the middle of a worldwide pandemic of COVID-19 and racism. There's currently a revolution happening in the United States of America um, where people are talking about things that we need to talk about. And there are some responses and people are talking. Is that what we should be doing? Uh, and so that's why we have designed this training uh, during a time such as this. Uh, culture, when we talk about organizational culture, there is a strong relationship with diversity and inclusion programs. It's actually the same thing. If we're doing culture work and not addressing diversity and inclusion, then we're missing it. And so we're going to talk about that aspect um, and define culture. We're also going to talk about emotions, normalize our emotions, and how to define support and how to regulate emotions and what support means. We're going to share about empathy and what it is. We're introducing workforce statistics on gender, race, and age. And so we're gonna identify, as human beings, we think differently, how can we accomplish something meaningful? So we may think differently and we feel the same is what we are gonna talk about today. So culture. The first aspect of culture, it's the part of the iceberg that we can see. And these are called the artifacts. Uh, it's what's viewed, heard, and felt by employees. You can see it's the dress code. Uh, how do we dress? Do we have a casual Friday? Now that we, a lot of us have been virtual on Zoom, um, have we been able to be more casual? Are we expected to be in a suit and tie and in a dress 
for women, what are the expectations? That's defining the culture. Uh, the furniture, the facilities, the behavior of the staff that we can see, um, and the mission and values, they're written on the wall, they're in the policy and procedure books that we are asked to read, and they signal the right thing to do. The second part of culture, it's right underneath the iceberg, so we cannot see it, and it's the mindset of the individual. So we all contribute to culture through the way that we think. This is our thought process, and this is our attitude. Then there are deep and underlying assumptions. Uh, so at the bottom of the ocean, at the bottom of the iceberg, what's rooting the culture and we're not talking about it. Have you ever walked into a community meeting, a place of worship, a place of work, where you were picking up on things that were not spoken and they were assumed. So this includes the leadership's true beliefs about the employees, uh, the unspoken norms and behaviors. It cannot be measured. It's hard to see and change. And so if you really want to understand your culture, ask that new employee walking in what they have observed and experienced and felt. Culture defines what's rewarded and punished. So we prescribe what the values should be, what we think is important, what we would like for things to be. And of course we say racism is not okay and we want a diverse and inclusive population in our group. And then descriptive is what our beliefs are. Culture is made of cognitive and emotional aspects because we're people. And as people, we contribute to the culture. This transcends the values and beliefs growing to norms. The best way to create change is social norms. That is according to the research. So cognitive, these are the beliefs from deep assumptions. It sets the tone for how employees think. Emotional, the degree of appropriateness of expression. So can we express our emotions and talk about them? Or to what degree do we suppress emotions and talk about them? And why is that important when it comes to a community meeting, a group, a place of worship, um, a place of work? It's not a sign of weakness. And so we applaud Brene Brown, who has brought the science of vulnerability and talked about it and been a forerunner for us to be comfortable talking about what's really going on, especially now that our world is in a crisis. There have been studies uh, where emotions at work were studied. We can actually measure affection, caring, compassion, and tenderness. Are you used to hearing these words when it comes to a work setting? Um, so in a nursing home, there was a study where the degree of freedom of expression of love 
increased the engagement of employees, also positively affecting patients and their families. If you've ever had a loved one in a facility in a nursing home, memory care, assisted living, then you can relate to this. It's really important. We wanna have employees who are happy and enjoy their work and that will have an effect on the patient, which is a family member of ours, and on us. And so it's important. How can we increase that culture of having a group working together to accomplish tasks at work and they feel a sense of community? Emotions. Dr. Segal Barsad at the Wharton School of Business has this term, and I just love it, organize internally to survive externally. And that's what we're doing where we're talking about culture and our um, thoughts and our feelings. Anger, anger, there's a lot of anger right now, and there's reasons for that anger. And it's easier to identify anger as a feeling because it feels powerful. It's rooted in sadness and fear. So when we feel angry, it's important to think, what am I sad about? What am I hurting about? And what am I afraid of? There's an anger iceberg that was created by the Gottman Institute. And so anger is what we can see. It's the part of the iceberg. And then underlying it, there's a plethora of emotions that's, that we're experiencing. Um, and so hold on to this. And every time we feel angry, circle the words. What is it that is underlying this anger? Embarrassed, we were tricked, distressful, attacked, rejected, nervous, exhausted, offended, worried, regretful, disappointed, guilt, all of this can, can just bubble up to anger. And so this is why it's important to acknowledge the emotion and to regulate it and to find support. Emotions have a certain range. Uh, strong, medium, and light. So if I am thrilled, I'm strongly happy. If I'm cheerful, I'm medium happy. If I'm content, that's a light state of happiness. And happiness is a science. It is something that's been studied by psychology. And we can achieve happiness through daily decisions that we make. And it, and it does not need to depend on what's happening around us. How relevant is that in today's world? I um, started a happiness coalition in Knoxville, Tennessee, and we had it for a year. Professionals would tell their story on their journey to happiness monthly at meetings, and a whole vision unfolded from that, and we were at the year point, and we began collaborating with World Happiness Fest, which is a worldwide movement, and it's basically talking about well-being of citizens, being equal, gross national happiness, and gross national product for governments to embrace this. And so this is a worldwide movement that's happening. Right at the year mark, March 2020 is when the shutdown happened 
for COVID-19. And so here I was, I had been researching and teaching about happiness for a year. And then all of a sudden, our event stopped. You know, those milestones in life that we celebrate, that we get excited about and look forward to. And so that challenged all of us. What is happiness truly about? And can we find happiness in a pandemic when we're social distancing, when the way we do things has changed? And so that's been a challenge for me. And I know that's a challenge for all of us. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing to dig deep and to make these decisions that we will choose uh, to make decisions that are good for our lives and to embrace what's in our control and let go what we can't control and move forward with life. The same thing with the sadness and fear. Uh, just think about the words that we use when we're describing because sometimes we're not really taking a moment to think about that word. We're just saying the word. And there's an intensity with the feeling and the word. So someone who's belligerent, which is strong level of anger, is different than someone who's annoyed. That's a medium level of anger. It's different than someone who's being resentful. So normalize the emotions means we all have them. It's normal. We're all human. This is what we have in common. So we may think differently, we feel the same. And normalizing them, okay, they are what they are, I'm feeling them and regulate them. How do we do that? There's the Sarah model of managing change. Uh, and it's spelled out in an acronym, Sarah. Shock. This was unexpected. It disrupted my life and it altered my reality. So there is a response with our nervous system to fight it, to flee from it, or to freeze. And so how can we relate to that with the COVID-19 pandemic? Um, there's been some fighting happening. Um, one example is in Knoxville, Tennessee, we have just been mandated to wear masks in public and indoor buildings. And I noticed a family, I was walking into a store and the mother and child had a mask and the father didn't. And they were regulating how many of us went into the store. So employee was sitting there masked, counting how many were going in and didn't say anything. So is that person fighting it? Um, and then flight is, I'm just in shock, so I'm not going to deal with this. Freeze um, is, wow, you know, anxiety can really cause us to shut down and to stop functioning and to give up hope. And so we need to go through this process to regulate the emotions. Anger. Um, I'm mad. I'm mad that this is happening and it's out of my control that it's happening. Um, I'm defensive and remember, what am I afraid of and what's caused sadness for me? Um, and the anger, remember, it helps us feel powerful and we're more vulnerable when we have the fear and the sadness. Rationalize, we deflect, we project, so deflect, um, means I'm really not talking about it, I change the subject. Project means 
Um, I made it your problem. I'm not responsible for it. Blaming and minimizing the impact. It's really okay when there's been a strong impact and it's admitting it to ourselves. Acceptance. Finding peace of mind and heart. Hope is active practice and a decision that, okay, I've accepted this, I'm gonna be peaceful about it, do what I can about it, and I make the decision there's hope in life. So who can we identify as support? Not exactly who agrees with us, who's gonna sit there and say, well, I'm mad too. And not who's gonna say, oh, it'll be okay. We need someone with empathy. So who will acknowledge our feelings, whether we understand them or not, helping us to problem solve with open-ended questions to identify where we're at and what can help us move forward. Empathy basically is to feel with and to be with the person. Okay, this is perspective taking. There are four components of empathy. So look at it from the person's point of view. We all have a viewpoint. What's important is that person's point of view when we're practicing the skill of empathy. Avoid judgment. We all judge. We all have bias. Uh, and it discounts the person's experience. Your experience may not be my experience. And that's okay. Uh, so when we're practicing empathy, it's acknowledging the other person's experience. And this isn't just for therapists to do. Loneliness kills. Uh, it's a pandemic in the world before we had the pandemic of COVID-19. And so how do we cure the loneliness factor of one in 11 people worldwide saying that they do not have anyone who cares for them in their life? It's to listen and to listen empathetically. Empathy recognizes the emotion in the other person. When we talk about emotional intelligence, we recognize the emotions of other people as well as our own. And we communicate understanding, feeling with that person. So we're not gonna say at least you, or it could be worse, or bless your heart. We're gonna say, sounds like you're in a hard place, tell me more. The seven empathy habits, uh, it's again, what we need to practice. These habits are not natural to us because we have our own perspective and we judge. And we're inside of ourselves, we have our own experience. And so it takes a lot of energy to be with someone and to really listen to their perspective. Be fully present with others. That's what that means, put aside our judgments. Practice active listening. Can we listen for about 10 minutes without interrupting? Tune into nonverbal communication. So communication, about 7% is verbal, the rest is nonverbal, meaning how we say it and what our body is saying. Really pay attention when the nonverbals are not congruent with what the person is saying. We need to look at that and say, what does that mean uh, when this is happening when you're tapping your foot. Uh, what is that saying as you're saying this? Be comfortable with pauses. Um, it's okay. All of us need a minute to collect thoughts. Even in trainings, when we're asked questions, in interviews, it's perfectly fine to pause. 
That's what we need for our process, especially when we're emotional. Yes, please take that pause to collect those thoughts, to speak intentionally. Replace advice giving with questions. We want to ask open-ended questions. Um, I cannot tell you how many times I've expressed this is going on in my life and people go straight into advice giving and I wasn't asking for advice. I was just talking. Uh, so, and I know people, we do it because we want to help. And that's actually not helpful according to the science of empathy. Speak in terms of we and not me. We're in this together. We are a community. And imagine the other person's point of view. So emotional intelligence has four components. Uh, Self-awareness, self-regulation, awareness of others and their emotions, relationship skills. So what are some statistics in our workforce, and this is from 2018, 78% are white, 13% are black, Asian 6%, American Indians and Alaskan Natives 1%, Native Americans and Pacific Islanders 1%. This report broke down the 6% of Asians into the different countries. Um, so my input with that, I always check white. My parents were immigrants from the country of Cyprus, and I am first generation to be raised in the United States of America, and I still check white. So what is the difference between that and uh, checking Hispanic? So that is part of my feedback, but I still check white. Culture work, the why. Okay, so different backgrounds bring unique viewpoints and help solve problems with optimal results. It enriches innovation, it increases group intelligence, it enriches ideas that flourish. Um, and culture work, we need to begin with truly valuing, prioritizing diversity and inclusion. This is from a Harvard Business Review article, it's important for us to communicate the reason for our inclusion practices. Um, this is from a consultant who brings diversity and inclusion programs, helps the corporation build the program, and this is what she's hearing. Structural racism has conditioned us to accept that including people of color in majority white workplaces, especially black people, equates to lowering the bar. Not only is this framework incorrect, it's dangerously divisive. Still, it remains pervasive. And so she's just hearing this feedback from the people who are running the corporations that were learning our bar to bring this diversity and inclusion program. And so that's why it's important to communicate the reason. Um, we also want to talk about women. We are nearly half the workforce. We represent 49, for, sorry, 46.9% of the total labor force. 57% of women participate in the labor force compared to 69% of men. So we hope you enjoyed part one of diversity and inclusion. Stay tuned for episode six, where we continue talking about the statistics of demographics in our place of work and more.
Hello, my name is Alexia Georgiou. I'm a coach and consultant. I innovate and create with empathetic, agile methodologies. My website is theresilientpathway.com. Contact me, alexia at theresilientpathway.com. That's A-L-E-X-I-A at theresilientpathway.com. We have special pandemic coaching packages available. We're also providing consultation services with development and training on Zoom. I look forward to hearing from you. Mm -hmm.